Hello, we are back. We are here. Everybody's been waiting for a new episode of Matt Men, the podcast, and we are here to deliver. My name is Matthew Pizzana. I am co-host of this crazy train that we're on today, and my co-host on the other end of the line, slash other state, slash somewhere where we cannot disclose. Matthew Thornberry, how are you today, sir? I am okay. How are you? I am better than okay. I am moderately okay. Look at that energy you're bringing. That is crazy. I watched Convoy today, so I am jacked up. I am all ready to go. I can get in an 18-wheeler and drive across Arizona, beat up some cops, and then make it to New Mexico. See, funny that you say that. I actually watched a video comparison today of all the different home video releases of Smokey and the Bandit, including the brand new 4K release, and I just Mm -hmm. got depressed because, man, these new 4K remasters aren't doing it for me. They make me a little uncomfortable sometimes. Uh, they're not as bad as uh, 4K porn, but they're pretty bad. And, uh, yeah, I know. Uh, 4K isn't always what it's cracked up to be. That's for certain. That's what we've learned so far once we've had 4K. Matt, there's a lot of things to get to, so I just want to start off rise atop at the greatest news ever. Slash, no. Not really. No, 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 no. But there's a new Highlander movie coming, Highlander reboot, and we have a star. His name is Henry Cavill. Matt, what do you think of this casting? Let's talk about Highlander. Go. I think that Henry Cavill is getting very typecast at this point. Um, Because, I mean, right now, you know, he's not Superman anymore. Right. But uh, they've got The Witcher Season 2 coming out where he plays a stoic guy who lives a long time and carries a sword. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've got that a feeling seem familiar at all. No, not at all. But he, okay, here's my thing. You have Highlander, Highlander yes. to the quickening. And there's like four different versions of that. Uh, there's Highlander, the sorcerer also called Highlander final dimension. Uh, there is Highlander. Uh, the one that has uh, Aaron, Paul, not Aaron Paul, uh, Adrian, Adrian Paul. Yes. And, uh, Connor, uh, you know, Christopher Lambert. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, names which kill is, me. Which is weird that he's not going to be Highlander because as oh, far oh, as I'm oh, concerned. Oh, hold on, hold on. Okay. Not done. Then okay. we got Highlander the Source. Then we have like four or five seasons of the TV show. We got a cartoon and a video game. That's a lot of content over the last 35 years. Yes. And there has been one and a half good movies, really. And I mean, I love love the second movie i'm not going to say it's a great film there are aspects of it that are good but you know this it it, more and more it's seeming like you know especially with you know the sequel being now considered to be one of the worst sequels ever made right which i think isn't fair but i mean mean, in the middle of production they were in uh chile and Mm -hmm. the economy collapsed right so that's a tough one right or argentina i'm sorry they're in argentina um, but anyway, it was made by the same people who made the original, right? They couldn't get it to work a second time. So part of me's thinking that there was a very short little sliver of time in the 80s mm-hmm. where you had this magical mix of um, 
music video directors doing weird looking feature films. You had sword and sorcery epics that, you know, were all over the place at the time. And then you mix that with a buttload of cocaine and you get Highlander. And I really think that it might've been just a lightning in a bottle kind of situation because they have tried to make it work. And like I said, it's worked like one and a half times. Um, I wasn't a big fan of the show. Nothing against the show. I think it's just also like, you know, 90s TV production. You know, I, I wasn't the biggest fan of all that. But I, I, I'd i like to see Henry Cavill in something that kind of stretches his acting chops a bit. Because they hire him to be very good looking and very stoic. And, you know, I don't know what he can do. Right. And one of the cool things I know I keep cutting you off, but I know one of the cool thing to me, one of the cool things about the first Highlander Mm -hmm. is that you had a main character uh, played, you know, a guy who's 500 years old. Right. He's been all around. Uh, His mentor um, was a Scotsman, (laughs) but he he was a uh, an Egyptian. He was played by a Scotsman, (laughs) but he was an Egyptian. Uh, with who is also a Spaniard, right? Because these guys are, they live forever and they spend time everywhere. And you take Christopher Lambert, who was born in New York. His dad was a French diplomat. So he grew up in um, France and Geneva, right? Yep. And he's kind of from all over. So he has this muddled accent, right? And that works for the character. And it's something that I don't know if you could pull off if you were trying to do it. Because it's something that only a person like him has, who has that kind of eclectic background. Right, right, right. And I, I, you know, I'm not saying Henry Cavill couldn't pull it off. It's just I, I haven't seen anything to make it appear that it's more than just, hey, let's get good looking guy who swings swords good, you know? And that's not I've against him. I always wondered, is, do you consider it a B movie? Because it's always kind of like oh, yeah. between oh, a yeah. and B. Like no, 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 no. There's nothing. Ground. It is completely B. Okay, so um, I actually watched this video where Clancy Brown talked about the making of it. What happened was um, there was a guy who was at UCLA, mm-hmm. and he wrote it in college. And someone saw it, and it was bought by these guys who would always – buy stuff super cheap and say, Hey, we'll give you like 10% of whatever the final budget is. Right. And the, the producers who bought it were wanting to make it super cheap and they sent it to, um, Sean Connery to say, Hey, do you want to be in this? And not expecting to hear a yes, they got a yes. And they're like, Oh, well we, he wa- we wanted him for the Highlander, but he wants to play, um, Ramirez. Right. And they're like, oh, so we've got him. I wonder who we can get to be the the lead now. Hey, well, Christopher Lambert just did uh, a foreign film that got, you know, great uh, critical reviews and had a lot of success. Let's see if he'll do it. He probably won't. Well, he said yes. And then like all of a sudden, this tiny little movie that even the producers weren't expecting to spend money on, all of a sudden they had money to spend. Yep. And that guy who was like 19 or 20 
uh, basically just took the money and, you know, like they weren't like they didn't, weren't expecting to pay him what they did. But like no one ever expected it to be an A-list movie. It was always supposed to be kind of like a B-list movie. And it didn't even do that well here. But foreign markets, you know, especially uh, Europe, loved it. And just on the strength of that and home video and uh, what it did on cable, got it, you know, the sequel. So you're making a sequel, you're, you're making, you're rebooting a movie that launched a franchise that hasn't been too successful. And the thing that launched everything wasn't that successful here. It's, it's kind of weird. It's a weird thing to, to approach it like that. I'm going to offend you right now and say, how would it have been if we recast the main character as David Hasselhoff? <laughs> Actually, I think uh, if you're going to do anyone for Hasselhoff, it should be Ramirez. But, I, you know, that's but fair. The cool, but that's the cool fair. thing is, if you rebooted it, like, what? tell the same story, but use different characters, maybe. Like, create new characters and just do whatever you want to in that playground. You don't have to continue Connor's story because at the end of the first movie, it's already told. What would be kind of neat is just telling, like you can still do like the one story, but like each one is a different version of Highlander. I don't know. But I mean, I, I loved it as a kid so much so that I bought the sword. <laughs> nice. Yeah. How about some other new movies? Edgar Wright. Yeah, just got some new news last night in Soho. The trailer has dropped and it looks fabulous as always. Yeah, Edgar Wright is one of my favorites. So anytime he does any production, I'm on board for that. What did you think about the trailer for this movie? I was very surprised. It actually hit me more like a big budget version of his uh, don't fake trailer, mm -hmm. you know, okay. because, okay. you know, the movie, the, the, the trailer starts and it's like, Okay, you know, it's uh, the stuff they're showing me looks snappy. And then all of a sudden it starts doing real cool colored lighting and Dutch angles. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're in um, uh, Dario Argento film. Dude, the and shot, like, when they come in, they push in and uh, the yes. poster, that is unbelievable. That is so gorgeous looking. Right. So it's like, okay, so we're playing with time. And we've got what looks to be like some supernatural aspects to it as well. And yeah, it looks like it's an Italian film from the late 60s or early 70s. It looks really cool. So excited about that. Something that I'm interested about. I don't know if I'm excited. Kevin Spacey has a new movie coming to the, the well, eventually coming. Franco Nero is the director, which in and of itself is random. Also, uh, Paul Schrader is the producer. Paul Schrader says, let him act if he's not guilty. I cast him because he is a great actor. Matt how fast will you not watch this movie? Well, do we even want to mention the character he's playing in the movie? Go for it. Please do. If I remember correctly, uh, he's playing a person who was uh, accused of sexual assault, is it? I believe you are correct. Yeah. So that's really interesting if they, if they cast him. Um, and we, you know, probably shouldn't say anything about the uh, accusers who have uh, Spacey's accusers who have ended up dead, which is really weird. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I don't understand why you would do this. It, unless you're trying to, I don't know, possibly make enough people go, what you're hiring him just to get them to go see the film, you know, yeah. because I, 
I don't know. Um, it nothing was proven in court, but it's also hard to prove things in court when three of your four accusers mysteriously die, and one mysteriously dies just a couple of days after you post a weird ass video online saying you got to kill him with kindness. You know, it's uh, top I don't know. ten weirdest videos that we've had since YouTube. It's thing, weird. Right? It's really weird, and especially since his accuser died a couple of days later under really weird circumstances. So you had four accusers, right? Yes. I think three ended up dead, and one said, uh, you know what? I'm not, I don't want to be the fourth. I, yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, I'm okay. Uh, I'll drop my suit. So I don't know. Why, why, why would you hire him at this point? It's not like he, he didn't even get a day in court. That's the, that's the thing. Right. You know? So I don't know. It's not like... Like Michael Jackson, you know, whether whatever you think about him, he went to court and they found him innocent, right? So that's how you're supposed to treat him. If that had happened in this case, that's how I would treat him. But we never got that day in court. So I don't know. Uh, I, I think Paul Schrader is saying if he's innocent, let him act, right? Yep. Um, I don't know. That it seems... I. At this point, we just have we're, we're basically assuming what someone's intentions are, and we can't do that because we don't know what their real intentions are, right? But the optics of it, this is how it's, it kind of comes across, you know. Speaking of weird situations, John Cena had to apologize this week to China <laughs> because he opened his big fat mouth and said something about Taiwan. Yeah, what do you think about that? It, this is our new landscape in Hollywood because we rely so much on China now. This is just going to be how it's going to be. Um, actors are going to have to learn that relationship. And that's something that I think Americans don't know a whole lot about. And so they don't understand it. And he seemed definitely in that same boat of saying what he did about Taiwan when he took it back and had to apologize. He made sure not to even mention the name Taiwan because God forbid you say that, yeah. then China will take you off at your knees. They took down the NBA last year for saying stuff. Is China our new Hollywood master? Well, without a doubt. Can you imagine telling, uh, I don't know, someone like uh, John Wayne that he had to do that? <laughs> Not a chance. <laughs> right? Um, but we're also at a time when, you know, we need these foreign markets just to keep this industry alive, right? Have to have um, And considering, you know, he has a big movie that's just now out. Um and it looks like this one might, like Godzilla versus Kong was a good return, but it wasn't like the super mega uber blockbusters that we've seen for the last 15 years. And like you said, you know, when we were talking about this earlier, it seems like if anything's going to bring us back to billion dollars, it might be Fast and Furious. Yep. Here we go to the moon. Is it officially out now? It is not officially out here, I don't think. We're still China, but I think we've got another week or two before it's out here. See, that, that's another weird thing. All these releasing strategies where uh, domestic movies get released later now. It definitely seemed like this may be a more of a COVID thing because they wanted to bring people back to the theater slowly, so they kind of ramped it up. I think they're using uh, this news and the hype and the $100 million yeah. to convince people to come back and to come watch this. So I kind of think that's how they're angling with this. It may become a trend. It, it may just start being this way, that China or other countries get that. But then we go back to the pirating situation. They're always very scared and, and weary, wary about that. So how are you going to deal with that situation? 
I know the F9 is already up online. I haven't watched it, but I know it's already there. It is? Yes. It's a cam version, but it's up online. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know how they're going to deal with that. But I do know that world politics now invading all of our spaces is something that we're just going to have to continue to deal with as we go. Well, I mean, to, to be fair, it always did. Like, you know, the Simpsons, anytime they wanted to use uh, like classical music, they would use something from a, uh, at least in, in the first few seasons, they'd use something from a Russian composer because basically if, since they didn't, uh, during the Cold War and the end of the Cold War, since they didn't really care about our intellectual property and copyright laws, sure. we <laughs> said, we don't care about yours either. And they could use any recordings that they wanted to, as long as they were Russian, you know? So there's that kind of thing for a long time. Um, you know, it's, it's always been there, but um, basically having to have a, an actor apologize because he misspoke about calling a country a country it's it's weird and it, it's also kind of weird because it's not their it's not their job <laughs> you nope, know nope. no one ever said that these people were supposed to be uh brilliant in every facet of life and they might not understand not saying john cena doesn't he might i don't know but expecting an actor to know the complexities of something like that it's, it's not their business you know they don't like, who cares well, I mean, that's you. Well, you China make a, does apparently. <laughs> they they very much care, and you make a billion dollar movie, and these are the things that you have to worry about. I mean, you get one with the other. I look at the Spotify situation with Joe Rogan, and people continue to complain about the different kind of things that he does. Well, when you take a hundred million dollars, these are the things that are going to happen. Yeah. You have to take the good with the bad, and having to know the Chinese Taiwan situation is just one of the things that you're going to have to learn, and you're just going to have what to are know. What you talking about? Forward. Being, you know, that that serious XM money didn't change Howard at all. <laughs> I still, uh, you know, I'll defend him some ways, but yes, I. Oh yeah, no, I, I was just, I was just being flippant. No, like I think part of uh, with him is just that, um, you know, he's older, and yeah, you know sure. that the kind of stuff he was doing when he was thirty-five isn't going to be as cute coming from a guy who's sixty. You know, that's true. That's very true. Since we're already here, I want to go ahead and wrap one of the other topics into this one just because I'm so excited about it. Yeah. As you just spoke, F9 or something right behind it is going to make a billion dollars this year. It seems to be the case that we're going to come back and we're going to do that and we're going to give them all this money. Let me glow in the light of my wonder and amazement for I said this a month and a half ago and you didn't believe me. But I believed me, and here we are, already 150. It's just been released a week and a half internationally. Matt, let me ask you a question. How wrong were you, and how many times are you going to apologize to me for me being right and you being wrong? You know what? Uh, yeah, I, I was, I was, I was wrong about this. I didn't think that it would that the jump would be that big. You know, I thought, especially international, getting a you know almost 170 million is huge. Yes, it is. Um, so, you know, it, when Kong, uh, Godzilla v. Kong came out and got what, like 58 million opening yep. weekend? Yep. Um, that was considered huge. So I, I thought like the next step would be like, you know, 80 or 100. But man, it, well, we'll see what it does here in the States. Because, you know, uh, the U.S. has handled COVID differently, you know, from the That's rest That's a nice of, way to put it. Yeah, from the rest <laughs> of the world. All, most of the rest of the world. Um, yep. So yeah, yeah, 
uh, yeah, uh, it looks like I was wrong. And uh, F9 is what keeps us from losing theaters. Uh, then I will buy the box set. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested. I'm intrigued. At first, I thought online originally it listed at three hours and 23 minutes, which is a heart attack. That is <laughs> no. not accurate. It's two hours and 23 minutes. I don't know why it was originally listed like that. I mean, I was directed by David Lean. Yeah. I was just like, oh, I, I can't do this. I'm going to have to do this at home. But uh, thank goodness that's not. Uh, so I'm interested to see going forward. Um, maybe this doesn't do it. Maybe A Quiet Place 2 doesn't do it. But something coming around the corner, whether it's, um, what's the Air Force movie? Top Gun. Whether it's Top, Top Gun, Gun or like that. It's going to happen this year. And it's crazy. And really, when I said it, I didn't believe myself completely either. But yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I do believe Americans and, you know, people worldwide like to go to the movies. They miss being in that community. So. Let's now talk about something that has been the most memeable movie thing of the last couple of weeks. This whole Knives Out casting situation. There's been casting things left and right, flying into everybody. Everybody wants in on it. Here's what I want to ask you, sir. You're in it now, right? What, exactly. What's our pitch <laughs> to bring the podcast into the new Knives Out movie? What do you think? Um, man, I'll do anything to, to be in that. How about you just uh, put us in there? Uh, in the back of a coffee shop. How about that? Like we're just playing in the back of a coffee shop or, you know, someone takes uh, their earbuds out and you can just kind of hear our voices on it. I mean, how genius is this? I'm sure that they've been at least partially responsible for this idea, this marketing idea. Well, well here's the thing. Yes, Do you remember please. when they made the deal? Because this is with Netflix, right? Uh, I believe you're correct. Uh, two pictures, 80 bazillion dollars. It's something like $450 million, right? Yes, it's yes. crazy. And I think like Ryan Johnson and uh, Daniel Craig each get $100 million for both movies. Like uh, total, like they don't get 100 per movie. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. First, people were like, that's a whole lot of money for, you know, a movie. You know, there's no explosions or lightsabers or anything, right? And then it's like, when you start seeing the cast, you're like, oh, I can see how you could run through $200 million real quick real, with this real, cast. Yep. Because... They have everybody. And this is just the people that we know about right now. Yes, like Kate yeah. Hudson was the one that I sent you um, as far as the article goes. But we've seen numerous names going out there. Leslie Odom Jr., Catherine Hahn, Dave yes, Batista. Please. Yeah, I'm in. I am just intrigued by what they're going to do. I, you know... It was still weird to me when they gave them all that money, but still, I like this idea. I like this kind of film. So I'm very interested to see, you know, what they do with this. I do hope that there's still some, some surprises once we get there. I hope that all of these names aren't released, and I'm sure they won't be. But, I mean, that was part of the intrigue of the first one. Like, you know, Don Johnson shows up, uh, you know, at one point in time and everybody else. So, Oh, Edward Norton, too. Oh. Yes, please. Can I just have that him? Can I just have a standalone Edward Norton Knives Out movie? To see... I, I okay. There, there's a couple of different types of Ed Norton. You know, there is the uh, oh, I like where let's do this. I love this. Yeah, Go for it. The, there's there's the Jekyll and Hyde Ed Ooh, Norton, okay, which yep. is how he came out of the gate swinging with what was it Primal Fear? Primal Fear, and, baby. And, yes. And he got he got nominated for that, right? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Right. And then you take a look at uh, his other probably biggest movie, Fight Club. That's Jekyll and Hyde. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he played the nerd Jekyll and Hyde with uh, uh, the Hulk. Yep. Right. And even with something like uh, 
uh, American History X, you got Jekyll and Hyde because mm-hmm. he starts the movie like chronologically in the film. You know, he's pretty good kid. Then dad dies. He becomes Hyde and then he comes good again. Right. So you got Jekyll and Hyde throughout his 25th whole hour as well. Like you see okay, him as yeah, a good yeah. person, but then he's this terrible person on the other okay. side. But then you also have uh, the weirdo one mm-hmm. like moonrise kingdom like this guy who shows up in the like the version that of him that hosts snl and does really weird characters and i hope that's the one that shows up for sure because the energy from knives out and how weird daniel craig was in it and how gloriously wonderfully weird he was to see him be weird and funny against norton weird and funny that, that that's just going to be fantastic I, I want to see all kinds of that. Did you see the Brooklyn movie that he did where he's a detective and he stutters and it was yes. throwback? Yeah, I mean, same kind of thing. Is that like the I score? Uh, no, well, that was the score with Robert De Niro, which is also another uh, wonderful yeah, well, uh, yeah, he, uh, he was a thief was and, and he, had a, he had a stutter in that one yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Motherless <laughs> Brooklyn came out like two years ago, I think. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Make up a story, so. Oh, that was the one that he directed, right? Yes, I believe you are correct. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yes, I think I we, we get that game. I hope we get that version of him because that version of him. Yeah. Is fantastic. That that's the one that like, I like Kath. I love Catherine Hahn. I like Dave Batista. I like everyone they've named so far, but when I heard Ed Norton, Oh man, I love me some Ed Norton. And it's, it's just, it's a shame that people have called him tough to work with. I've never worked with him. I don't know, but uh, I, I just like, I like watching him. I like watching him work. Yep. One of the greatest places in the whole wide world was another casualty of COVID. The new Beverly yeah. has been shut down for 15 months, but they are back now. June 2021, they make their glorious return. And this means that we get to talk about the new Beverly Cinema's calendar for the month. Uh, what they do is they always let everybody know all the movies that they're showing for the month, whatever Tarantino and the crew pick out over there. So I wanted to take a look at some of these movies that we've got coming, seeing what you are interested in, seeing what you have never seen, because there's a few on here I've never seen, and seeing what you think of the new months back. Well, I, I really wish I could be there, because honestly, to watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is quickly becoming my favorite comfort movie, mm-hmm. to watch that at the New Beverly, and he'll probably be there, you know? I can't imagine how many famous people are going to be there just to be able to be back. It's, it's going to be it's going to be impossible to get in. Uh-huh. Um, so that I'd love to see Cinema Paradiso. That'd be great. Great Escape. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's very that's perfect. really funny. Uh, I love that pick. The one I really want to I, I would really want to see is Bullet. Mm. Never seen Bullet in the theater. Um, you know that's Billy's probably considered one of billy's best movies and it's considered like the greatest car chase ever you know um actually i think the only car chase that i've seen that i like better than bullet is uh yeah basically the last 30 minutes of um uh death proof okay all right i'll allow yeah i was afraid of what you were going to say there but that's what did you think i was going to say i well i mean if you would have said uh oh darn it darn it i had a great a gone in 60 seconds I don't, we might have been fighting. Well, which one? The original? Uh, no. The original is actually pretty cool. The cage version. Yeah, not my thing. <laughs> I've never seen The Hunger. 
a movie from 1983. A love triangle develops between a beautiful yet dangerous vampire, her cellist companion, and a gerontologist. <laughs> Directed by Tony Scott, of course. Tony I Scott. love how he's got some just like some great weirdo movies in here, too. You I know? love Caged Heat and Caged Women back to back. Yeah. Um, also, you have uh, Hedwig. That's kind of cool. It's such a good film, too, by the way. Um, but honestly, I'd want to go see Pulp Fiction at the Midnight Show. That would be something. Oh, never seen God, that. Never something. seen that in the theater. Ooh, I don't remember if I have or not. I think I've seen it at a midnight show, but seeing it there, yeah, that's that's priceless. Also, Dazed and Confused, that would be a, a real fun one to see. Oh, the audience would be all in that, though. I, you know, I think we I talked at least recently about what a weird movie that is a retrospect. You know, try to watch that movie with your girls now. The Well, I guess when they get a little older. The concept of that movie, there's no way they'd understand. <laughs> like all the hazing in that film and the different yeah. kind of things that people do. Uh, it's it's just melts my mind now. That was a different. No, no, things have things have changed a whole lot, and the fact that you have a guy who's known for having graduated, you know, almost a decade ago, and he still hangs out and hooks up with, you know, high school girls. I get older, they stay the same age. Right back then, it's like look how cool he is. Now it's you so know, creepy. Hey, he's a criminal. Yes, <laughs> yes. Where's his paint? His van is a. Uh, van that he keeps everybody in pretty creepy like, a real real quick aside though if no, you take please. away the hazing and just the you know the 70s-ness of it right mm -hmm. if you take that stuff away kind of like american graffiti um you have um a story about teenagers that is very teenagery and it hasn't changed much because teenagers haven't changed that's right um you know, uh, I, I've always said that um, I, I don't like the fact that they teach uh, Romeo and Juliet as a tragedy because they're two 13-year-olds who knew each other for three days. Oh, right. it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really That's dark because you don't satire. believe in love. No, it's not love. It's infatuation. They're not old enough Agreed. to know what love Agreed. is, you know? So, but the fact that, you know, that those characters still ring true now, you know, 500 years later, it's because teenagers don't change, yep. right? Um, and the same thing with, you know, uh, American Graffiti or Days and Confused or, you know, for the 80s, it would probably be uh, uh, Breakfast Club. You know, you show any like most 15 year olds in America, the Breakfast Club at age 15 and they're going to be like, oh, this movie gets me, you know, um, that movie did not get me. Yeah, uh, you, you, you have a thing against uh, I do. Yeah. But, you know, it. it I, I think that the only thing that keeps more kids from latching on to a movie like that is just the era. Um, but one thing we can all agree on is that the music is amazing. I agree, but I think that's another thing too. I don't think that kids listen to that music anymore because it's not, they haven't been exposed to it. Exactly. Yeah. Kids who have been exposed to it, like it. Um, I, my, my sister never listened to, classic rock my sister's four years younger than me and i listened to you know a lot of classic rock um and she never listened to it and always said no it's stupid but then she went and saw almost famous hmm. and she came home and she's like i was so wrong this music's amazing it's like yeah i know and i think that if kids are exposed to it you know they'll, they'll dig it because good music is good music no matter what the era is 
you know. Yeah, I mean, you put on any Led Zeppelin, I still think that that translates um, to nowadays. I wonder, you know, there was a big backlash a few, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago against The Doors for whatever particular reason. I guess Morrison was kind of a crazy person and people didn't necessarily like his antics. Um, but I'm curious if something like that works because I think that there's an extension from the doors all the way through to the strokes and then going forward to the killers and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I would love to, to reintroduce that to the people of the world. Almost famous needs to be brought back to the theaters so you can go and have that experience again. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, we, we need one for the nineties, you know, we need a movie. We need, we need a movie now to look back at, what the culture was like in the mid to late nineties. Is this going to be um, a hip hop movie? Well, you know, you know, we're getting away from, from movies, but one of the things that I, you know, everyone says, Oh, seventies music was the best or eighties music was the best. I actually think nineties was, I didn't like nineties music at the time because I didn't listen to it. Um, but nineties music is the most diverse in terms of what was popular. Every kind of music was popular. You take a look at the 2000s and basically you had like two or three genres, maybe, mm. you know, but every year you would have two or three, sometimes four different, completely different genres of music be incredibly popular in the 90s. Who is you the know? 90s band? Go. The best. Yeah, you're going to say the wrong answer, but I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask you <gasps> the best 90s band. Oh, man, that is tough. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But the answer is Blind Melon. So. What are you gonna do? You know, you know that that's actually pretty high up on my list. It I mean, really is. I mean, because he died, like it's kind of hard to see that lineage. So maybe it's one of those things that you hold precious because there was only a very little amount of it. You could also obviously argue Nirvana for that, but I just think that that guy was brilliant. Shannon Hoon, that No Rain yeah. song is one of the, is a perfect song. Like it's, that, it's that, that, crazy that, how perfect the song. No is. Rain, as corny as it is, that is my calm down song when I've had a bad day and I'm like worked up. I just listen to that mellow out. Where do we go? I might, I might, I might say Pearl Jam. I can, I can absolutely fine with that. I got yeah. no problem with that answer. Oh, I skipped something and I switched around. So we're just going to skip to the end. Since we were talking about the <laughs> new Beverly, let's talk a little Tarantino. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. And I just want to remember a little movie that came out in 1992 called Reservoir Dogs. Now, you know, I, I think one of the reasons we're talking about this, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. is that a few weeks ago, I hit you up, I think, with a late night text where I, I said, is Tarantino the most fully formed filmmaker to hit the scene? Like, yes, you, someone like Paul Thomas Anderson hit the scene like his first movie, Heart, Heart Eight, Sydney, yeah. whatever you want to call it, is a fantastic movie. But he goes from that to Boogie Nights, which is one of the most stylistic films of all time. And now you're looking at Phantom Thread or The Master, where he's doing 70 millimeter in you right. know, medium close-ups. Yep. And he's not, he's barely moving his camera, right? So he has changed. He's grown as a filmmaker. Most filmmakers tend to change. And I said, Tarantino seems to be making, like he, he makes great films. But they're always very specifically his, and except for maybe, um, I'm I'm gonna say Hateful Eight and uh, Inglorious Bastards. You know, it doesn't seem like he wants to change what he's doing, and that's fine because what he's doing is great. Yeah. You know, and yeah, is he the one who, right out the gate, it's like this is what I do, 
take it, you know, take it or leave it. This is what I do. Is it an advantage that he is a collage artist in the way that he creates things and that the sense that he already knew his influences early on and so he was able to put them on screen automatically, whereas some other directors take a little while and you have to learn and you have to see and kind of test out a few things, maybe? I don't know because he literally came out of nowhere, yep. right? He didn't go to film school. You know, he, he wasn't really making short films, right? Nope. So all of a sudden, <laughs> he releases this movie with now some of the biggest names working, some of the biggest named actors. Yep. And an actor who was never easy to work with. Um, what's his name? Steve uh, Buscemi. No, I'm just kidding. No, no. <laughs> no, uh, I'm completely. The, the guy who heads Kytel. the whole operation. Oh, uh, no. oh, 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 oh. Died recently. Lawrence Tierney? Yes. Yes, Lawrence Tierney. Like, notoriously not easy to work with. And True, his right. first-time filmmaker was like, yeah, we're going to work with him. Bring him in. And he releases something that is not only good, not only very good, but also changes the cultural landscape like a medium. Like, no one can listen to um, uh, that, that one song anymore without thinking of Michael Madsen dancing around stuck in the middle with you right that's like when you, all i ever dance that's the only way i ever dance right the whole walking in slow motion while everyone's wearing a cool looking suit you know like that was the like the 90s were like birthed at that moment for sure <laughs> you know like 90s independent cinema and a million people who ripped it off right so yeah like is do you remember when it was released? Were you aware of it at his first release? Because I didn't come aware of him until Pulp Fiction, and then I went backwards. But did you know him at that time? I, I didn't watch it, but I knew of it, mostly because uh, of all the parodies. Because I watched uh, Saturday Night Live. They even had it on The Simpsons, um, uh, In Living Color, all sorts of stuff. You know, If it was parodied, I, I saw it. So that's how I knew it. Mm -hmm. I got you. So uh, we, we batted around a few directors whenever we talked about this the other day who were potential um, candidates for being full, almost fully formed. I gave you Orson Welles. We talked a little bit about that. It's hard for me to argue for him because Edgar Wright, Edgar Wright is, an, I think, Edgar is a Wright. perfect example. The way Shaun of the Dead is his was his first film. And I don't I don't know if it's his best but it's probably like the best zombie movie ever made. Yep. And that is him through and through. And you just get more of him, you know, as time goes on. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, mm -hmm. he's probably the other one. Um, I still uh, argue Vincent Gallo um, was fully. I don't think, he, I don't think he has enough. I don't think he has enough directorial things under his belt. And that's a, it's like sports in that way, right? So maybe you can do that for two films, but when Tarantino's doing it for nine films, right? there's a lasting... Uh, process of that yeah that that it, you can't count two films comparatively to nine films because that gives you a greater birth to screw it up right you know um there's got to be some classic directors but they directed so many movies at some yeah. point in time they're going to go a different direction or want to take on a new idea i think sometimes peck and paw might okay be consistent throughout um watching convoy <laughs> today that kind of made me think of of, of him but there's also a difference between, you know, consistent and just, you know, someone who was still learning the ropes because yep. it's like you can tell that it's an independent film 
right? But there's nothing to say that it's an immature director in Reservoir Dogs, right? Mm -hmm. There's nothing that says, um, hey, you know, we're young except for the budget. Talk, you know? to, talk a little bit more about that because I know that you're talking about the way things look and the camera shots and all that kind of stuff. So talk to people what you would see differently if you feel like that a lesser person would have directed that. Oh, man. Um, first of all, it's it's very difficult to shoot what's essentially one room Absolutely. for the majority of your film and make it interesting, right? Mm -hmm. um, and he's able to do that. Um, you would... It, it wouldn't feel you wouldn't have the movement as in like the narrative and visceral movement through the story. It would feel very static. Um, it's and an action that, film without having action. Yeah. And also just from, you know, the, the whole standpoint of like, you know, if you shoot a movie, it's like every college film, you know, you shoot in an apartment, an apartment with white walls. <laughs> right. right. And it always looks bad because it's boring. And that could have very easily happened with Reservoir Dogs, but it doesn't. It also could have looked very cheesy because they, and we know that it would have looked cheesy because a million other people tried to make Reservoir Dogs after Reservoir Dogs, and it always seems silly. For some reason, he's the only one that can have people stand in black suits and sunglasses and pointing guns at each other and not have it seem cheesy. Yep. He's like the only one. Yeah, I mean, it's a B movie that made it to A level. Yeah, I mean, it really is. Did it? Well, well did it? We'll say like an A minus level. Or, or is it just a B movie that left a really big mark? Yeah, absolutely, could be, could be. Yeah, you know, I just don't think of it. I think of it on a higher level only because probably because of what it accomplished. Whereas something like Detroit Nine Thousand is a B movie. Some people know <laughs> it. But, but it wasn't we have reached the end of the episode, which is always my favorite part because I get to learn something about you because you always tell the audience what you've been watching, what they should be watching, what will entertain them. So, Matt, this week I give you the floor and say what should the people watch this week? Love, Death, and Robots Season 2. It's on Netflix. First season was longer, but it was a little more hit and miss. Um, there's nothing bad in it, but, you know, ranging from okay to great. Um, season two is fantastic. Everything about it's great. Um, I think there's like eight episodes and there are 10 episodes and they're each like 13 minutes long. So they're not that, that you know, tough to get through. But um, some of the stuff they achieve in their animation in this season is remarkable. And... Um, it, it just it kind of mind-blowing that it's something that you can tell people poured so much love and attention into and it was just kind of dumped onto Netflix without you know pomp and circumstance behind it uh, I didn't even know that it was out except I saw a friend talk about it on on Facebook so yeah I, I'd watch that um, there's always uh, what was it uh the army of the dead or whatever yes and make sure to check me out for point one second oh yeah are you in it i think so i'm pretty sure i think i'm pretty sure maybe i don't know i'm gonna try to screenshot it that's the plan but hbo is not on my computer and this is the whole thing did, and I, did you watch it uh i've seen i've fast forwarded through it to see if i saw me okay well we'll talk about it after this stops excellent 
<laughs> for me, I'm going to give you a twofer because I'm selfish and that's what I like to do. First of all, let me tell you to go back and watch the best of the Mission Impossible films. Mission Impossible number three, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman. J.J. Abrams directs it, and I think it is the best. It is fantabulous. I love the plot. The plot is that Philip Seymour Hoffman is stealing something, and there's chips in people's brains, and he's exploding them and killing them. Carrie Russell is in the film as well. She does not make it too far into the story. Um, and, of course, they have to disavow Ethan Hunt, and then he has to fix the whole thing. And he Doesn't that happen in every the, single one? The, exactly, exactly. And I love them all, but number three is the best. <laughs> Slash. We'll have a Mission Impossible off one of these days. Slash Convoy. I mentioned it earlier. I'm going to say it now. <laughs> It was magical. I just watched this film for the first time today. It is the um, companion piece or the other side of Smokey and the Bandit. You really have to make a decision on if you're a Burt guy or if you're a Christopherson guy. It's Bert. a hard choice to make. Burt is fantastic. But Christopherson is also a singer-songwriter, so he has more to the table than just Burt's hairy chest. Except Burt brings the snowman, Jerry Reed, with him. That's true. And the movie's directed by Hal Needham, who's a stuntman in his own right. Uh, Peck and so, Paul. I mean, you, I mean, you're really going to disregard Peck and Paul's directing? Well, no, but he's not a stuntman. That's fair. Okay, that's fair. Um, uh, God dang it, that other old guy, too, that's in it. But I, I found it enjoyable. It was not great. Let's be clear on that. It's not good all the well, way see, then, then, then you automatically lose because Smokey and the Bandit's like the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> Fair enough, but I would say watch them together. That's a fun thing that you can throw together. Also, you get to decide Sally Field or um, Sally Field or the other lady, whatever. The, yeah, exactly. Sally Field. I don't even know that other lady's name. Uh, I blocked it out. She has terrible that's, hair in the movie. Why did she do that? That's kind of my point. Also, you're you're forgetting the biggest part of the movie. Mm -hmm. Sheriff Buford T. Justice. Well, now I feel like you're just dis disrespecting the cop that was in Convoy. Because No, I'm not, but Jackie Gleason is Jackie effing Gleason, man. Ernest Borgnine is Ernest bleeping Borgnine. Ernest Borgnine didn't create television. <laughs> but that face is pretty. I'm no, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's movie ugly pretty. <laughs> I need to see faces more like that. I need some some messed up faces. That makes me feel better about everything. Convoy is on apparently everything right now. Amazon, Pluto, Tubi. Allie McGraw, that's her name. Not Oh, I like Allie McGraw. Not for me. He's not for me. Anything you want to riff on before we go? We've got a we've got a minute or two to uh, throw something else out there. Anything else you want to talk about? Um, I've I've been rewatching Justified. Oh, I did that last year. What a glory Timothy so Oliphant fun. is. So fun. Uh, Walton Goggins is just the, the greatest, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Also, um, I've kind of destroyed my YouTube algorithms because uh, <laughs> um, I watched this one clip from The Shield, and now that's all that pops up are clips ah. from The Shield. Mm -hmm. And that stuff is like crack. It is like mainlining testosterone. I forgot how good that show was. And I wanted to go back and really watch bad. it. I'm emotionally, I can't handle it. I just one time was all I could do because I watched it live all the way through. And um, I how hurts. weird is it that one of the guys is actually in jail for murder? Yeah, oops on that. 
We have talked movies. We have talked other things. I think we've told people what they need to know for the week in movies. Until next time, if you want to see us, Mattman Pod on all the worldwide applications. I think that's what the kids call them, right? Am I right? Am I right? TikTok, maybe. Maybe next time. No TikTok. No TikTok. No TikTok for us. Anywho's Matt, it was great to see you. Great to talk to you. I'm right. You're wrong. See you next time. See you.